0: everybody, and welcome to the first of a three-part series of Vassals of Kingsgrave podcast discussing the book Dune, which we are reading in advance of the release of Dennis Villeneuve's new film adaptation this October. My name's Bina 007, I'll be your host today, and I am the Dune Virgin, and I'm joined by Master Zach.
1: Hi, this is Zach. Not much of a lawmaster. I'll, I'll do my best, but uh, I'm here.
2: And Hannah. Hello. It's uh, whatever on the there's no forums, so winged shadow, <laughs> shadow on the discords.
0: And we're also joined by Kit Kat History. So hey Kat. Hi. And apparently you have podcasted on Vassals of Kingsgrave before, but we're not asked the newbie questions. So I'm gonna ask them now. So do you want to tell the listeners how you found Vassals of King's
3: Grave? Um YouTube. I I was looking for Um. Actually, it was a while ago. So just YouTube.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um. And were you into Song of Ice and Fire in particular? Or yes. Yeah.
3: Yes. Actually, uh, my boyfriend watched the show, and then I remember, and then um, I was at a Barnes. I was at the Barnes Noble up by my house, and I came across the first the first book, and I'm like, I might as well read this, and I love it. I've I have read all
0: the books. And who's your favorite character? I think that's usually our final newbie question.
3: Yeah, uh, Jon Snow, actually.
0: Ah, there you go, a classic. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. Okay, well, welcome. And, you know,
0: welcome also to Patrick the Tall, who's joined us. Hey, y'all. Hey. Okay, so as I said, listener, this is gonna be a discussion of book one. This is going back to our Song of Ice and Fire book first roots. Uh, in honour of Mimi, the podcast queen. So we are going to discuss it kind of spoiler-free, or we're going to discuss just up to the end of book one, because that's all I've read. And as we obviously get further through the books, we'll discuss more. So I don't know how to describe, do a chapter summary, but maybe an overall book summary is, as far as I can tell, and you can guys can tell me if I've said stuff wrong, We enter a futuristic world that seems to have grown out of our own world at some point previously, because there are things like Bible verses and sort of earthly religions, but it's obviously a multi planet world. And it seems to be run Star Wars style and actually being a huge Star Wars fan, you can see so much inspiration from this to Star Wars. By a weird trade federation or guild who controls the shipping of many things including spice which is as yet kind of ambiguous as to what it does um, but feels very addictive and then it gives people certain powers um there is also an emperor who i haven't met yet in the book and various important aristocratic houses so one is house atreides who i guess are the good guys And so far we have seen the Duke um, being assassinated, Ned style, and his young son, Paul, um, who people think might be the chosen one, Jon Snow style. And he has a mum who is called Jessica, who is a member of a very weird kind of nun order called the Bene Gesserit or Gesserit. Um, And they seem to have an obsession with bloodlines, which makes me feel very nervous and Nazi style. Um, so, And their archenemies appear to be the Harkonnen family, I guess, and Baron Harkonnen. Anyway, so that set, sets up the book. And apparently what's happened so far from what I can tell is that the Harkonnen family have done a deal whereby the Atreides swap their planet for the Dune planet, which the Harkonnens run, which should be technically speaking lucrative because that's where all the spices is, is milled, but um, has, a um, set of people living there called freemen who are like the sand crawlers sand people in star wars and yet the heroes not um the dodginess that's in star wars and you also have sandworms which we haven't seen well you know we have seen them attack so far But it's a very perilous planet. And we know that the whole deal is dodgy and that it's a trap. It's a trap! Um, (laughs) Because the Duke's already dead and Paul has had to flee with his mum, which is a little bit Bran, Brandon, Bran Stark, I guess. And he has, in the course of escaping, I don't know if it's because there's just spice around, but he has adopted or discovered a set of really insane powers prophesying and all sorts of other things in which he's also intuited and revealed to his mum that his he's actually a mix of atreides and harkonnen so that her her parentage is revealed to be harkonnen and that he obviously his dad was atreides so he is a song of ice and fire so that's a lot of plot i mean that you know georgia r r martin would be would be aghast right to have that big parentage reveal at the end of book one does that does that sound garbled to you guys, you know, this book? Because it felt garbled when I was trying to put it together because a lot feels like it's happened. No, <laughs> um, no it, it's very good. You did That was a nice job. Okay, well, thank you. Um, so I don't know how we want to discuss this going forward. I mean, maybe you guys want to um, talk about your experience with Jean and whether you're big fans and how you rate it. Um, I mean, so far, I would say, as someone who's not read the book before, I really am into it, like I was really speeding through, and if it weren't pausing for this podcast, I would have carried on. So I am enjoying it, but I do find it so far quite simplistic as to there are clearly some very good guys and some very bad guys. Maybe that changes and becomes more complicated. And I also, in the wake of A Song of Ice and Fire, find it quite humorless, and I find all the mysticism and the religious stuff a little bit hard to take, but I am into it insofar as I go. I'm not sure if... It's really my cup of tea, but we'll see as we get further. But um, I don't know who wants to go first. Maybe Patrick. How uh, how, how what's your relationship with Jane?
4: Oh, Dune. Uh, it's uh well, it's a book I read after I watched the first watched the movie. So I have the the pageantry of uh, of uh, the David Lynch movie in my head every time I I, <laughs> I see this uh read this book. But it is a the first half of of like the first volume of the do- dune saga I'm, I'm guessing that's what we were re- i didn't really get to that is it we're, we are they've just ex- escaped and that's when when we're stopping right now right exactly
0: exactly
4: yeah, bu- yeah cool yeah but we don't we don't do book one and book two in in them we just take three tomes just like oh, the, three I three see. three giant tomes just like the lord of the rings so gotcha. uh, uh so yeah i know where we are and i think it is it gets crazier from here let's say like that <laughs> there is gonna be more humor more intrigue more things that that will come so it is a it is the 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 part of the series the saga that's just introducing characters and trying to make some sort of you know ambiance for for the reader so that they feel like this is highly space gothic-esque sort of okay and in. that
0: has worked that has worked i also mm-hmm. then after i read this book one watched the the, the lynch movie which i'd never seen before oh. up to this up to this point so i haven't yeah. I, I stopped myself at this point and that oh, was bad. That, i mean that's that, i think we should do a podcast on that at the end of this all by itself because that <laughs> but there are yeah there are things to be said is it one of your favorite fantasy series, Patrick, or are you more yeah. sort of
2: like, yeah?
4: No, definitely. I'm. I'm. I was never to begin with. I wasn't ever actually into like true fantasy or high fantasy. I was more like sci-fi or uh, or like like current times uh, things. So this was right up my alley in the sense that it's it's sort of still felt weird and crazy and then but but was also it's it's a it's a weird sort of book that has a lot of like meaningful uh, messages or uh, for us as a as current day society so that's also well yeah i mean
0: a lot of the ecology stuff is bang on the nose for this current moment of climate change awareness right i mean it struck me as being incredibly relevant yeah
4: um... yeah, hit, yeah hit frank herbert and uh i think asimov for both of the two like giant sci-fi people who who both had like almost prophetic (laughs) ideas of how how things would come to be also but but, uh, i think frank herbert is is the most palatable one of the of the two if if you have to that's my opinion on that but in in any case um yeah i yeah I, i adore the way he he puts it up and makes it makes it so that you start thinking thinking more about both like this the world and how it came to be. There's the whole we've already already have been told about the ecology of Dune and there's a lot of good themes there at least.
0: Okay. Um welcome Jock. Lovely to have you on the podcast. Yeah, it's um,
1: great to be here.
0: Good. <laughs> Zach, how did you come to be a, a Gene aficionado?
1: Well I'll just say again, I'm really I'm really not one to be to be frank. Oh, okay, um good okay i'm really not because um i think the reason i got into dune initially was just because i was reading of course a song of ice and fire and a lot of these other works of science fiction and fantasy and dune always gets brought up a lot as one that you should try which i did and the first time i read it i wasn't i wasn't actually a huge fan of it i was definitely one of those people that you know had a hard time sinking into the world because of all the, the just the proper nouns the details the information about it it can be very overwhelming um, when you first yeah, yeah, read it, there yeah, were yeah. certainly things that I enjoyed about it, absolutely. I think the world itself, I really appreciated just how rich it was and just how how much... Um, I don't know it just something about the feudal science fiction setting is very different from anything I've seen before and I I really enjoyed that and it's actually funny because it's kind of what I thought a song of ice and fire was when I first heard about it for some reason when I first heard (laughs) about that story I thought it was some kind of weird like science fiction setting Uh, and of course it didn't turn out to be that but when I read Dune, I was like wait a minute this is what I thought that was and it was it was cool to, to experience that um, anyway, I I read it again recently, and I think I just appreciated it a lot more. And just kind of, it it's just a cool document, I think, to see like where it sits in the history of science fiction as a genre and fantasy too. Like it's it's clearly a very influential book. Um, and there's a lot of things that I've I've just grown to appreciate it, about it more and more. Um, but I have only read the first book. I've not read any of the sequels or anything like that. So. That's the extent, but I'd probably like to check those out at some point.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have to say as someone who grew up very much in the Star Wars original trilogy, it was kind of insane to see how much had been, you know, borrowed, influenced, taken from Gene. And I think that maybe that increased my interest in it as a kind of uh, text, like a source text. Um, But I did find it quite not pompous is too harsh, but I don't know, I was looking for some lightness. (laughs) <laughs> Which you definitely don't get certainly so far anyway. How about you, Hannah? Maybe you're the the June law master like Patrick on this podcast.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I I don't know if anyone can be like a master. This book's it's so dense. And I was just talking to Cat and Abby on the chat the other night. And every time you read it, you'll get new things out of it. And So I'm really enjoying, particularly this new read, read, reread I'm doing. Where I'm at in my life now, I'm and like from the perspective of knowing we're gonna do an episode about it for sure has really brought a lot of new images out in the text that I hadn't had before. So. I wouldn't say that anyone can necessarily be a, an expert. I know uh, Brian Herbert tried to be, and that didn't go well for him. So <laughs> I'm <laughs> chagrined to say that necessarily, put that label on it. But yeah, I found this book. So I don't know if I've ever like really shared this on the podcast before, but I have pretty severe, uh, it's a type of dyslexia called dysgraphia. And I, I was undiagnosed uh, into high school. I started high school and... I was miserable and uh, I had to go to summer school between eighth grade and high school just to get in. My GPA was like 0.17. Uh, Because I just wouldn't do the work. It was so frustrating for me. But I was smart and no one cared. My parents worked really hard. So I went to my mom at one point and I'm like, I've been faking sick. I can't go back to that place. I'm miserable there. I'm being teased. The teachers don't help me. And she found a family friend who was homeschooling her children to take me on. And that woman really saved my life. She figured out what I had. She figured out what I had and she took a course on how to teach people like that. So I really didn't know how, I mean, I knew how to read, but I couldn't I like I couldn't read on my own anything beyond like a cereal box or a paragraph, and she taught me how to read. And within a year, I was reading Dickens and Vonnegut on wow, my own. Wow, that's
0: amazing! That's so
2: cool. And my, my cousin had a copy of the the mini series that Sci Fi Channel did in the early two thousands, and I'd seen parts of it with her. And I like what is this because it's really grandiose in that movie. And Dune was always one of the films my dad said that he liked the the Lynch version. And so I said, "Well, I'm gonna try to tackle this book next." Then, which did you know? <laughs> I bit off a little more than I could chew. It took me a long time, um, and but I didn't get disheartened, and I finished it. So I was uh, I was about 15, 16 when I finished it the first time, and I've reread it probably for like the first 10 years. I reread it every year, and uh, my last reread before this one was a couple years ago now. So. Um, yeah, but it's it's one of my favorite books. I think finding it so young uh, and it has all these religious themes and it, it, it's really shaped a lot of my character and my personal system of beliefs. Like wow. I wouldn't say I'm religious, but I have a lot of influences from the philosophy in this book. I think that's really, it's to me, less of a science fiction book and more of a philosophy book.
0: I can get that. I can see that. But that's
2: profound. And as far, as far as you go, just know that all what you read, all of that is just set up for the beginning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 200 pages in. Never mind. Yeah. That's, just, that's just the prologue. So. How about you, Kat? What's your um, history with Gene?
3: Not a lot, actually. I've never seen the movie. The Lynch movie. I've never seen anything. I spend a, a lot of time on YouTube, so there's a a lot of people that I watch, um, and one of them is uh, Lin Kara, a comic book reviewer, and uh, he reviewed the comic adaptation of the Lynch movie a couple years ago. Okay, and um, that was my first first exposure. Then we decided to do this reread, and I'm like, okay, I'll I'll tackle the book. <laughs>
0: I see and, got, um, you're you're a virgin like me. Okay, cool, cool, cool. But you read the whole thing, right? You sped read the whole thing.
3: Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I did. Um, Could
4: you say that you were infected with terrible purpose? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> of course, I'm using my dad's copy, and it's one of those books where I'm like, you know, I'm sure my dad has it because my dad has this massive library. So, um, so Yeah. Um, and did you like
0: it? I mean, the fact that you spread yes, Reddit, yeah, we, you I were did. really
3: sucked into I it. Yeah. Yep. I really do enjoy it. A couple of weeks ago, I remember asking my dad if he has any interest in the, in the new one that's coming out in October, in the new movie. And he's like, no, ever since the um, Jodorowsky film was cancelled, I have no interest in any adaptation <laughs> because... Uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky happens to be one of his favorite directors. Oh, and okay.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs>
3: it's, it's one of those... It's And from what I know of him, he seems to be one of the few people who may be able to actually adapt it to... to... Um, well... Yeah. yeah yeah well we I'm... should
0: we should definitely do
3: a podcast about the attempts
0: to film June before the new one comes out,
4: yeah definitely because
0: jodorowsky's June is another one of those things, a bit like the book that's been so even though it was never made, it's probably the most influential film that was never made because those h r geiger and and Mobius kind of drawings, like the storyboards and all the design work you can one hundred percent see in films like Blade Runner. I mean, I think the, there's a documentary called Jodorowsky's yeah. Dune that I hope your Dad's seen. I'm sure he has. Cat um, about how influential the produc- pre-production design work was, and how those of us who ne- like me who'd never heard of Dune but had seen things like Alien and Blade Runner and Star Wars have actually been living in a world of Dune completely unknowing. And that's why I think when I read book one, it kind of I slipped into it very easily because actually not knowing it, my whole life has has just been warming me up for it <laughs> and steeping me in the world yep
3: and blade order is one of my dad's favorite movies so. well your well, dad sounds awesome because yeah that, that, <laughs> love that,
2: blade Runner. <laughs> it's yep. very good very uh, good
0: how about you jock you've not um talked about you're the last one to go i think
1: yeah um i've read the original four books and Sisterhood, and that's about it uh, oh i've also seen the mini see the other children of dune Games.
0: and would you class yourself as a big fan like is this something that you have spent as much time with as Song of Ice and Fire like is it up there as one of the the, no, the worlds I'd that you love that. yeah um,
1: I'd say it's uh these that I do love mm, cool the watching this time.
0: Well, thank you for joining me. I'm I'm not sure quite how to tackle bit one, but maybe just some of the the, the parts of the world I'd love to talk about a little bit. And I don't know how hard it's going to be for you guys to talk about it without um, getting into later in the series. But the the thing that stood out to me most by the end of it were three things and we can discuss others as well. But for me, I found the concept of the Bene Gesserit or Gezeret really interesting. Like this idea of this very powerful knowing network of women who were basically um, deliberately marrying people and manipulating them and creating bloodlines just simultaneously creepy and weird but also quite attractive in some ways. Um, The second topic I think was I I found it quite I found Paul very frustrating because I think we've moved through literature now we live in a world where we see different types of heroes and it's not all about You know, Luke Skywalker style, um, well, Luke wasn't aristocratic, but these aristocratic heroes who are going to then become even more heroic because they have special powers. And I found him very dry and very hard to sympathize with. So I'd like to talk about like what kind of hero this book is is doing is portraying, and then I I I did maybe because of my economics background get sucked into this whole idea of guilds versus aristocratic power and thinking of like Florentine Italy and the East India Company. Zach and I were talking about, a bit. I found that really interesting. So I don't know, Bene Gesserit. Are they going to be a force for good or bad? I don't know, but I find them very interesting. And unusual in fantasy literature, right, or even sci-fi literature, to see this kind of interplanetary network of women who it feels are adopting the garb of religiosity so they can set up myths about themselves in different planets that might then prove to be helpful. I mean, are they even religious at all? Or is it just a sort of a breeding power grab?
4: I don't think there's any actual, you know, proof of them having a religion per se uh every every time they speak of religion it's more like we built yes as as you said we built this around ourselves so that we we could come in at any point and and take over if you wanted to so so no proof as of yet of them actually having a a true belief other than maybe robots are bad i think that's (laughs) Uh, i think that's everyone's uh, belief really and and no nukes against uh, energy shields that's the two like main staples in everyone's religion right now
0: so if they really are just putting it all on that's actually pretty cool but again very sinister i mean i just found them i didn't understand whether i was meant to think of them as a bit like the the red sparrow and just sort of i mean they could quite malign in a way but i don't know i would
2: i would say it's somewhere between like yeah the like a septin kind of network and the faceless men. Oh, okay. But but then like with a seat at the table, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and they do seem to be quite respected, right? So all the all the political leaders are men, aren't they? So it's Duke, um, Leto, and it's Baron Harkonnen. So it's men who lead these houses, Paul. It's very much a masculine world. And yet these women do seem to have quite quite a powerful seat at the table. But am I mistaking that? Because they still have to marry for power. So maybe I'm overdoing it. Is this a pa-
2: a patriarchal world that we're operating in?
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, I I wouldn't say that necessarily. And then I think, like, in not in this book, but in later books, you'll see that there are heads of house that are female. Oh, okay. Cool. 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 They they're just not relevant to this story, so they're not really talked of. But it's more like I don't know. Have you ever seen my big fat Greek wedding?
1: Yeah. Oh, I love so, this. You know poem. when
2: the mom when the mom says. <laughs> The man is the head of the house, yeah, but the woman is the neck, and she turns the head which way she wants it to go. <laughs> That's sort of the role of the Benny Gesserit in this world, especially I think that- when it comes to men.
4: I think I think Frank Herbert knew there was going to be a uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding movie at some point. Or he predicted, <laughs> that. I predicted that, I and mean. then just mm-hmm. modeled it upon that book book and movie. It's
2: like a, a millenniums old prequel, is what it is.
1: Actually. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I think, was also um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh, I was Thank- just going to say, I think they're actually the, the thing that I think makes the book work. I would say the Bene Gesserit, because if they didn't exist, I just think that the book wouldn't really have any characters or intrigue or fascination that feels like it sets itself apart from something else. Mm-hmm. But the idea of these, um, like essentially what they are, is they're like super monks, right? The Bene Gesserit, They're like Jedi, yeah. right? Like they're just like these super mm-hmm. powerful um, people that are that are that are so influential in in politics and diplomacy that that they. In this case, like essentially decide what happens, it feels like. And I think the idea that they're that they're woman and that they kind of insinuate themselves into all these feudal families and have this sort of eugenics plan, which we can get into. Like it just it's so interesting to have that as the the baseline and to to see it all through a character like um like Jessica who I think you can see that she is kind of inducted into the way this order behaves but also stands apart from it. She kind of like sees kind of the the complications of it. I don't think we have too much of that yet, but I think we see the signs of that. Even when um Paul is being tested in the first chapter, like we see that like she's not really all about all about these things that they do well, she at the rebelled same time she has been thoroughly trained in what they do.
0: Yeah she rebelled and had a boy. I mean what I liked about the Bene Gesserit is that in a book that so far, don't be insulted, law masters, um, seems very simplistic as far as it's good, very clearly delineated there's a good house and a bad house. The Bene Gesserit, so far I found very hard to pin down. Very slippery. Yeah. I don't know to what end they're exercising their power. So that to me is what's elevating this above a more sort of Star Wars style, more storybook um, type tale. So that is interesting to me.
2: On this reread, it struck me, you know, I forget who said it, if it was Einstein or, you know, the quote, it's like, at a certain point, magic and science won't have discernibility. Like, I feel like that intersection is the Benny Gesserit between science and religion. I think it
4: was Thord that said it.
0: Yeah, it's like to if you're sufficiently, if you meet sufficiently primitive people, or you're sufficiently far in the future, it you know science is going to yeah. feel like magic because it's so outside of your bounds of conception. Um, yeah,
4: yeah, it's Arthur C. Clark, isn't it? Sure, it's Arthur C. Clarke of two thousand one. Yeah,
2: Arthur C. Clark, that's right. Yeah, so and I feel like that's Benny Jesuit are that same intersection, but with religion and science.
4: Hmm. We we already get one example of it as you just mentioned, Bina. She chose which uh, gender she wanted for her child. Yeah, uh, and and that's a that's a power that they have. They have the power of molecular control over their own body. Uh, well, and
2: she knows how long time has passed when she's unconscious during the attack on Erekine.
4: Mm. Oh, you okay. Know
2: so that's not something i'd picked up on um yeah like as as she's coming to she can look back into her how many heartbeats she's had and count that it's been about an hour
1: oh and also we have the um that i can't remember the exact title she's she's like the matriarch mother superior whatever the one who tests paul oh yeah um she she says that that uh, Leto will lose lose Arrakis. Uh, she knows that in advance, it feels like. So there's a level of prescience. And we also see that with Paul himself, who is like he has descended from the Bene Gesserit lineage. He has his own prophetic dreams. So there's that element, too. And I, I think with the religious piece... Um, I think that's really just a tool. Like, I, I think it's just a thing that they use to advance their ends for me. Like, that's how mm-hmm. I view that. I don't think that they necessarily believe in anything. Okay. I mean, I well, do think
2: they have a creed and they, they have a philosophy that they follow. You know, I, I don't. Yeah, it's it, it, yes, it's like a more political influence, but there there is a, a doctrine that they have and a... Mm. A kind of mysticism that they have, like whether they believe in it or practice it or not.
1: But yeah, but I think it's sort of the 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 philosophy is definitely there, but it's a very logical one. It's not a very right. metaphysical one. It's so all, it's all about sort of mastering yourself. You know, they they have this this point when Paul is is doing the the uh, the test uh, when he puts his hand in the box and he succeeds and he's able to master the pain. Like they, they distinguish themselves as people who are human. Like they are better than animals because they have mastered themselves in this way.
3: And no, I think that is a lot of what
1: they are about. Like is this idea of transcending like the typical human weaknesses
2: yeah they're like their own gods almost is what i get from that like yeah that distinction between animal and human or humanity that they're humanists
0: in in a very literal sense of that word um okay Does anyone else want to say anything about the bgs which is how i'm choosing to refer to them because it amuses me
4: yeah well (laughs) um there was there's a thing about what you just said about how they look at about and and they sort of have an analogy to two things. Where first of all in, in universe, the mentats also have sort of like a regimen and a and a way of looking at things sort of a mantra they go through when they when they tr- teach themselves the skills of a mentat, uh, which which Paul also goes through that regimen. Um, but in outside of the universe, sort of the the idea of a of an order of uh, highly powerful women uh, who is waiting and fearing a a male version of themselves also kind of reminds me of the Wheel of Time, right? Mm.
0: Yeah, well, Wheel of Time is another book I haven't read, so maybe okay. I should tackle too, that yeah. after this. <laughs>
4: oh, that's a, if you if you think this is a is big a big mouthful, then Wheel of Time is <laughs> um, something else.
0: That's another first novel has sat on my bookshelf for a while, and I just haven't got to. It's ironic, right? For a person who's devoted so much of her life to a Song of Ice and Fire, I don't really think I'm much of a fantasy book reader. <laughs> oh um let's talk about paul as a hero because i found him very hard work sort of quite cocky knows what he's doing gets even cockier because he's even more superhumanly talented by the end of book one just classic aristocratic 15 year old who's going to inherit the world and it's just like oh is he more likable by the end of it? don't
2: reveal. So does he, does he become you. more likable? He's He appears so little in this book. I, I, I don't know if, like, and no, I mean, I don't mean any offense to you, but I feel like that might be a prejudice that you have. Oh, probably. Against the, the type, you know, because I don't get that at all from him. Um, he is definitely, uh, there's a juxtaposition in book one where he is, very immature. He hasn't come to maturity, and I do think that it's meant to be laid on slightly thick, just so that later, as he matures and grows, you you see that more that transit. It's almost like Jamie is so bad in the in the beginning of the series that when he has his turnaround, you know, we're we're rooting for that.
0: Maybe it's in, because in that a- sort of you know he's gone on this sort of brand Stark type journey, but with his mum yeah. and. All that kind of prophecy and and you know forward seeing that Bran gets over like you know four books has happened in about four chapters.
4: Yeah. <laughs> but um, so, so the question should be for you rather you and and Cat maybe. Uh, well, do you think that Paul is invincible or in infallible?
0: I don't know, because I've only just met him in his superhuman form, but he seems pretty... The fact that he can intuit who his, his granddad was and basically announces himself as a messiah was pretty punchy, I felt, as a move.
4: Um,
0: <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Kat, what did you think is that the you other know, movie on the call?
3: <laughs> I do... Um, He is kind of difficult to pin down, but... Got me was at the end um, when he's finally mourning Leto, and he's like, "I can mourn you now, Father." <laughs> and thing is, um, I think part of the reason why Dune is just so difficult to adapt into film is because of um, the inner monologues. And for Paul, for me at least, the monologues actually help a lot for him because mm-hmm. they do. I feel like they do give um, at least insight into how he's feeling. And like at one point he rationalizes like he thinks back to his battle training with Gurney and is like maybe I can't because he feels bad that he's not mourning his father. Right. And he thinks back to his Mm -hmm. battle training with Gurney and is like, well, maybe it's just because I have a job to do and then I can mourn him. Like, it's,
0: mm. he's rationalizing. I don't know. I feel like, you know, Luke Skywalker gets a lot of shit for being, like, really whiny. I wanted to go to Tachi Station and pick up some power converters. <laughs> but, you know, when you're 15-year-old and you're a boy or a girl, you are pretty whiny that's what being and it just felt like i wanted to see a bit i wanted to see a bit more of that kind of like normality from and maybe i don't read enough fantasy and maybe this is quite this kind of classic hero's quest preternatural power is part of it i don't know i really don't think
1: it i really don't think it is it it is being i think this is i think what what's happening here is really different from the typical hero's journey the way that paul is presented um so this comes back to first of all, I actually want to say I completely agree with Kat that it's it's really hard to adapt this because of the lack of interiority. I think that's very important for a lot of the characters, and that's why I'm very skeptical of any adaption. But it's it's you know you can make it work with good enough actors, hopefully. But but anyway, um, I think Paul connects a lot with what I what I was saying about the Bene Gesserit, which is this idea of of people who are sort of transcending typical human concerns. and he is really presented as a kind of like ubermensch, right? Like a like a Zarathustra on the mount, like someone who is, beyond human so he is not really meant to be likable i don't think like he he is right. he is meant to be like someone above what we are and we can't really sympathize with that so we're not going to enjoy it but so does that I mean that other people him...
0: will become our protagonists that we'll empathize with
1: because gods are no. kind of
2: boring right yeah. i don't think you will <laughs> i would say oh, if you're okay. if you're looking for a hero in the book it's the it's the titular character arrakis is the the only hero I think really truly in this story.
1: Let, oh. let me say too though that um I think what makes him interesting especially at this point in the story is his kind of wrestling with that destiny of like being this like sort of emotional non-thinking superhuman like he and that was, like as you said cat like he really wrestles with that when when his father dies he's like shouldn't I be a human here like isn't that what I'm supposed to do like that 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 itself is really really the the highest point of sympathy I think you'll have for him honestly like I think it's only. It's not going to get any better from here. I think I, I would say with respect to that, and I think that's demonstrated oh, no. in the in the epigraphs. Um, I think you see like what Paul is becoming, which is this this even more superhuman. Like he's going I mean, to become muadib, that person who has like a million books written about him by this princess that we haven't met. Like that. That's where he's going, and I think the the inclusion of that is what demonstrates to me that, like Frank Herbert wants him to be viewed this way, is like not like a a sympathetic hero, but as this sort of person who stands outside that kind of construction. Also, okay.
4: also, there's <clears throat> one thing extra I sure want to add to that is that, like we read, like quite early in the books, that that Paul hasn't had any children. Running, he hasn't been playing with any children his whole life, really never uh, yeah he hasn't been con- his closest yeah uh, his, his sword teacher has been his closest friend uh, who's like, what, 20 years his senior? Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, he just doesn't have a healthy relationship to anything. So he's, he's have to be grown up. He's also been trained as a mentor, as we said before. Uh, plus, he's been taught, taught all sorts of combat ways to survive attacks, maybe even uh, as many Besen Jesuit uh, has been uh, intentionally poisoned to, so they could remove the poison from his body. I mean, that, that sort of kid, I would think it would be a bit screwed up. Also, maybe. Uh...
0: OK, well, it's just going to be interesting to see how I, progr- you know, so much of my response to literature is through loving character, almost more than world building and plot and I think that, that's you know, why I love Song of Ice and Fire which has all three actually so it's kind of like that's why it's like the super book and I'm a bit worried now proceeding with this book how <laughs> I'm going to get on with it
2: <laughs> well I would I, I mean I wouldn't worry too much but I think that in it it's a, a fairly large departure it's probably the biggest departure that they take in the in the sci-fi channel mini series for book 1 which is the it's the first 2 hour episode um if you have a chance to go and watch that i think they portray paul in uh it will give more clarity and it's more in the way that people react to him some some other characters lines are given to paul in that and um i think it it can help provide a little bit more support for him in a way i mean but then again, I sort of feel
0: like for my first read,'ll I'll read it, I'll just do the read because if this is if this is Frank Herbert's intention is to make him a god. Or a superhuman. Then let let me let me revel in that and see where. But
2: yeah, I think how like kind of says it himself is he. You know, most people would think like power and everything is great, and he is a a moral person. All of the tradies are. So you know, you would think that you'd want to root for that person to have ultimate power, but he calls it terrible purpose.
3: Yeah. and
2: i it's like um it's very much like the christ story where it's i have to go to this cross and i don't want to and there's temptations you know okay. to uh, evade that purpose but it's my purpose and and i think that's uh a parallel that is is drawn on 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 paul for a reason you know but mm okay you know well, it, let's see it's, let's see how it goes. Going, yeah it's going somewhere else so you'll you'll kind of see
0: I mean what I the was next really what I was thinking a lot about when I was reading this weirdly and maybe it's just because Timothee Chalamet is playing him in the new adaptation is he also recently starred in an adaptation of Henry the fourth parts one and two yeah. and Henry V where you you find a a young man right like the similar age guy yeah. Prince Hal he's basically he did a
2: great a, job in
0: that he did a phenomenal job he's kind of like a, drug a wonderful kid, movie. and then yeah. turns into an incredibly austere war leader like throws it all off but does struggle struggles with that you know what's expected of him and I think there's some interesting analogies there which kind of gives me hope a little bit actually for him being cast as Paul but I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with that
2: Okay, yeah, that was probably the casting that I saw that I thought was the best um, mm. in that, um, but and he, uh, they age him up a little bit in the miniseries, too. I think he's closer to seventeen turning eighteen in the miniseries. Uh, and the, yeah. the actor that plays him, though, I think it's it's balancing on a knife point between love and hate. Okay. And I think and he struggles with that within himself as well,
0: okay. So then moving on from Paul, the last topic I want to talk I wanted to talk about was sort of centers of power so you have the obvious power of the emperor from which then derives the power of the aristocratic houses so atreides versus harkonnen but then you have also you know you've got this alternate center of power which is the Bene Gesserit. you have another center of power which is in the guild which I find fascinating because it is control of logistics and control of shipping, which I find fascinating, actually, if you think the climate stuff's relevant today. I feel that's very relevant, right? A supply chain disrupted world and how people feel Mm -hmm. hard politically to go up against China because what happens if, you know, she cuts off access to the Malacca Straits or whatever. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's all very interesting. And hit lots of historic parallels to people who created in- incredible power via trade. So thinking of like the, um, the Medici's and the great sort of Florentine and Venetian trading houses onto the great, you know, the East India company. So
2: yeah, I I found that when really you said that new. in the chat, that was very spot on. I, I think East India for sure.
0: Um, and then maybe also talking a bit about is it? What's the name of the the planetologist? Is- kind? Oh,
2: kinds. Yeah,
0: no. He also has like a secret code name amongst the freedmen and is, is treated a little bit like a god maybe, I don't know, or a leader of some kind. So there's different centres of power. Like at first you think it's a trade Arcanum, but then I actually realise it's a far more diffuse power network. Um, and I don't know, we haven't really seen much of the guild yet, so I don't know how much you guys can say about that relative to spoilers. But I do wonder who you guys think is, is the dominant centre of power between those differing circles. That, to me, is the bit of the book that I find most interesting. I'm actually not that interested in Paul and his journey. I'm far more interested. In... <laughs> I'm carrying on and reading because I want to know more about the Guild. <laughs> yeah,
4: that that well, is that, that is a really interesting be question. <laughs> it is a really interesting question, though, Bina. And I think that's what really gets explored, uh, is... How you see this flood coming, this giant wave called Polar Deep. Uh you see that it's coming on the horizon. How does these? different power centers react to a new power center arising and who will who lent it uh, like who will end up actually you know leading them who will end up um you know coming out on top in this struggle for uh for supremacy of the the, the galaxy that's that i think that's the question and and i i cannot give you an answer and it's it would be spoilers to 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 okay. give you something but I'm reassured.
2: More.
0: I'm reassured to see you say it's a good question, and that that will be discussed. That is the the question that we go forth with, because that to me make to me it's far less to see Paul become Muadib than to see what that does to the existing power structures.
4: Yeah. So, so so you you might not be get you not might not be getting the full answer in this book, but if yeah, you go on go on reading. Uh, there will be we'll, there will be some payoff for that.
2: Cool. Okay. Well, that gives I me say... hope. For, yeah, for Dune proper, the Chome Company, the Guild, uh, even the Bene Gesserit at large are more macro ideas. And for Dune, we're more exploring exploring the micro uh, power struggles on Arrakis in regard to the fremen and the rest of the universe
4: yes. okay that makes but, sense but that will have giant consequences on the rest <laughs> so yeah, <exactly>. whatever <laughs> happens on june uh, affects the whole Yes, yeah, the mm-hmm. right. yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah but that's been it
4: made the spice yes
0: yes okay so those were the three things i wanted to touch on i don't know Kat, if you have other things or the rest of you if there are things in book one i haven't mentioned that you think are important that I should pay attention to or that you find really fascinating um any other bits and bobs
1: what did you think about um i'm curious like how did you respond to to duke leto as a character
0: well i think it's it's very hard i felt a bit cut off at the knees on my response because it's made very, right. very early that he's not going to survive so it's like if you read game yeah. of thrones and you knew from the start that ned was gonna die which i suppose most people do now but i didn't so i was really invested and i really loved that he was good and noble and honorable and then he died and it was really devastating but it was kind of like he was noble and honorable and i loved that he loved his mistress um he seemed like a really decent guy and a really nice dad and a really good ruler um but i knew i knew there was no point worrying about it cuz he wasn't going to survive long so I get
2: right. uh, Which is devastating because I love Oscar. William Hurt.
0: Hurt. Yeah, I love William Hurt too. And
2: so, I mean, it, that's and a bit it's sad. Even worse because <laughs> William Hurt's portrayal is so endearing. <laughs> you know, so, it's definitely a, a crushing glow. But I, I feel like, what did you think about knowing in advance who the traitor is?
0: Yeah, I didn't particularly like that either because there's so much fun to be had in, in Song of Ice and Fire with people figuring out who traitors are. So I felt everything, because I'm so used to George, just like dragging everything out, but in a beautiful way, in an intriguing and beautiful way that I felt a lot of this was quite rushed. I felt quite overwhelmed, like, oh, so we already know the traitor. Oh, so there's already been an assassination attempt. I feel like there was like a book and a half's worth of Song of Ice and Fire in like a third of a book here.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Which and is I think no that's... bad
0: thing. I mean, it's no bad yeah. thing as I sit that... with an unfinished fantasy series on my shelves. But it was kind of, it was a bit overwhelming because I've, you know the only fantasy series i've ever really truly invested in is one that's very drawn out and patient so
1: yeah that's the funny thing about dune right it really like it it, it at constant turns it kind of undercuts what you think the story is going to be right because at the start you really do think it's going to be this power struggle between between like these two um, feudal lords essentially and there's going to be a lot of like moves and counter moves and it's going to be a lot like a song of ice and fire basically and it's really not oh. right and the fact that everything is forced basically, right? Like we we basically know everything that's gonna happen in this book from the start because they tell us, and they tell us in the epigraphs. They tell us basically where this is all going. So it's like, what is the intrigue? What is the the um the uncertainty, the tension of this book? Like, it's really it's really hard to figure that out. And I think for me, it, it goes back to like Paul. Like, will he take up the destiny, or will he not? And like, what will happen when he does? What's like? But mean we know he does, right? Because we,
0: we know he's being written about as more Dibbin by this princess. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Again, I just find that like less involving cuz there is an outcome. There has to be that outcome, right? He has to like Prince Hal become the king because Otherwise, what are we all doing here? But the, the, I think so. I was.
1: We know that, but we don't know like what, how he's get, like. We don't know what he thinks about it, or like what he like exactly. what that's gonna lo- actually look like from his yeah. point of view. And I think that's kind of where where the tension comes from in the book is like, is oh, he gonna take yeah. yeah, up the terrible so purpose, much, or is he gonna resist it? And like, yeah, it is he so gonna alter it? In
2: way? It's like why, how, and where, and when. Those are the more important themes, and I think. My, my favorite part is the next book, it's book two. I think that's the meat of it. And the most important things happen in the next section of this book.
0: Okay, well, now that we have done this podcast, I will hurry and read that and we can reconvene and maybe have a slightly, uh, I don't wanna make it sound like, I, I feel like I've been quite negative, but actually I did race through it. I found it really interesting. I loved the Bene Gesserit as a slippery female-led organization. I loved Lady Jessica. Um, the sort of the Reverend Mother or whatever she's called seem really kick-ass so there was lots in it that I liked and I'm hoping for a bit of you know the the military sidekicks like Gurney um coming more to the fore so and I really liked just seeing the first Samuel I'm really looking forward to meeting some Freeman now so I am intrigued for it I am psyched up for it but yeah I just found the whole kind of aristocratic hero quest becoming a superhuman god a little bit Alienating. No, I,
1: I feel yeah that like I have a lot of hang ups with this book and I think like for me like I have to kind of reinterpret it as the kind of stuff I was saying cuz like just as a straight hero he doesn't work at all so I have to think that like there's something else going on and that's kind of how I I rationalize that's, it
2: That's why I think it. it's more of a philosophy book you know and it's mm-hmm. more the I, the ideas I, of I morality see. and causality
0: yeah which I think is very very interesting so I look forward to sort of you know you know viewing it in that light and i just you know as we record this and we talk about paul as a semi-god demigod maybe just as a god um i was just thinking of another voc we did on the the film by milos foreman milos Forman, amadeus about mozart when there's a scene in the film where he's just moaning to the um the king of austria effectively that he doesn't want to write operas about greek gods anymore because no one cares about people who shit marble. They want to have <laughs> operas about their barber falling in love. You know, I just, I just feel like that about Paul. Like it just feels like he would shit marble. <laughs> oh, I'm so crude. I
4: apologize. Um, no, you're funny. totally right. <laughs> you're totally right on. <laughs> I, I would I would even up the the philosophy guide to a almost a biblical book with a, a historical yeah. uh, read the biography mm-hmm. with a first hand uh, commentary on. That's basically right. how it, how it reads to me as well, which isn't like the like doesn't you know go if you if you're for if you're for the the like the very engaging sort of character work that's not the first book necessarily that much more than more that's like oh i'm really intrigued in how he thinks and well i'm Mm. looking forward to hear how you then look at it uh when the first wave has has uh blown over arrakis and uh we're at the end of the book Okay.
1: I'm curious what what everyone else thinks about this. Like, for me, I tend to gravitate toward Jessica as sort of my, like, main point of sympathy. And, of course, she has you know, some complications to who she is too, for sure, being trained as a Bene Gesserit, but like seeing it from her point of view is like kind of being scared of what Paul is becoming and kind of wanting to protect Mm. him from that. Like I, 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 that's the kind of point of view I take typically when I read this. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think Patrick, you, you hit it on the head. Like it's, it's a very biblical in a sense. So it's almost like, knowing that christ was a real historical person and really did die does that spoil the bible for for you if you read it or do you are you still able to take the lessons like whether you like believe in it or not can you can you still see the lesson in it and i feel like much of the writing is you'll go through 100 pages 200 pages 300 pages to get one line that'll blow your mind
0: okay right i think that's a good point to leave it um I don't want to suck, suck you guys into revealing more than you should at the stage. So I really want to thank you for being the guide to me and Kat to a certain extent, although she's at least read the whole book on this journey. I really appreciate it. And I will read book two as fast as I can because it sounds like wild, wild stuff is going to happen. Um, and the- I think you'll enjoy it a lot. Read- yeah i mean i enjoyed i did enjoy book one um for reasons other than i thought i would but i am looking forward to book two so i'll speed through i will post my stupid comments in the in the gene chats thank you all for answering those and tolerating them for those of you listening at home if you are reading dune um come and join us on our discord server um there is a gene chat there so we can discuss all things book related and also as the film um comes to our screens, we can discuss that too in other versions as well. So I hope you'll join us there. Anyway, that has been it's been really cool, guys. Thank you so much. And thank I you look so forward thank you. to you.
2: for taking mm-hmm. on all the heavy lifting yeah. here. I'm very grateful to you. And I'm no so problem. excited like, yes, to experience it with you yeah, in sure. particular. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
4: And and sorry for all the uh, the poll apologizing. I mean, it's, oh, that's uh, okay.
0: I mean, he's a hero. Wait. You should. I
4: mean... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, everyone's just not. Well, he's oh, he's actually kind of interesting if you look at him like this. It's a uh, yeah. It's oh, that's yeah. Uh, but everybody. he is. Probably the yeah, biggest yeah, it's movie two yeah. ever made. Yeah, <laughs> every fanboy's uh, explanation. No, you you should really like this book because this guy is interesting when you look at it like this. Stuff like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's different.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's not even like the main character though. For me, like, oh. like he's so secondary to so much else. I feel like, and I, I feel like you'll get more of that in book two. Cool, cool, cool. All yeah. right then, folks. Thank you cool. so much
0: for joining Gene Chat, and we'll speak soon. Bye, everyone. Bye, bye. bye everybody. Bye. Love you guys. Bye, bye.